The John Morris Show, episode 126. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, welcome back to The John Morris Show. JohnMorrisOnline.com. Got a number of things in stack for you today that I want to get through. going to be talking a little bit about storytelling and the power of storytelling and why and how you want to implement that in everything that you do, whether it's whether you're someone who wants to freelance or not, you're someone who wants to get hired for a tech job, uh, whatever path you want to take in your career, when it comes down to marketing yourself and selling yourself to get a job, to sell your app, to uh, get freelance clients, whatever it is, I was actually I just did an interview with Mike P that I'm going to be putting up over on Patreon and also going to add it as a bonus to the PHP 101 course where I talked about we really went into his story and how he has transitioned from being basically a broke college student uh, three years into his CS degree to now a six-figure coder working for one of America's 500 fastest-growing companies and his path through IBM to be able to do all that in a matter of three years and how quickly he's been able to do that. And that's one of the things that we talked talked about and that he pointed out was that no matter where you go, what you do, you have to be able to be persuasive with your ideas and in also selling yourself. So no matter what route you you're going to want to take if you're going to want to have success and get where you want to go you have to embrace this idea of being persuasive you don't need to be slick rig you know overselling the used car but you need to do need to learn how to be persuasive in a very fundamental and basic way to get your ideas across to be able to market yourself and so forth well storytelling is a huge part of doing that in fact the more that you can inject stories into any sort of persuading that you're doing, the more you're going to find connection with the people you're communicating with. And that more than anything is going to going to help you to be persuasive. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this, this mindset, ex- this excuses mindset. And so I have some things I want to go through with that. Something I still see on a daily basis in comments, emails, tweets, etc., that I really just want to continue to attack uh, and really try to get through to people that are thinking this way to to, to get past this because I think it's very, very limiting. And finally, I want to wrap up talking about, I want to get into more interview techniques and strategies. And so I'm actually going to go through uh, in this episode of the show what I call the basic method or the default method of way of how you would interview. So I'm getting ready to put the finishing touches on a video I'm release, releasing over on Patreon for the uh, Ace Interview Series. That'll be lesson two. If you missed last week's show, first off, shame on you. But I also mentioned that I released lesson one of that Ace Interview Series over on Patreon. I'm getting ready to release lesson two, which talks about the two different approaches that you're going to want to take based off what kind of interviewer you're facing and how to figure out what kind of interviewer they are very quickly in the interview and adjust your your method. Well, 
Today, I want to go through the, the default basic method that you'll use 90% of the time when doing interviews and show you how you can go in and really have a game plan for your interview. So we're going to get all that in this episode. Before I do that, again, I want to emphasize, make sure that these podcasts are being released podcast only, so they're only available on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music on your Android device. So if you want to make sure you get every episode, they're not going to be over on YouTube, you want to make sure and subscribe at johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes, johnmorrisonline.com slash Android, or johnmorrisonline.com slash SoundCloud, depending on what you prefer. And if you do me a favor and head on over to iTunes and leave me a review there, you can go to johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes and leave a review of the show that I'd greatly appreciate it. That helps me reach more people. If you know somebody would benefit from the show, I'd really appreciate it Appreciate it if you'd share it with them. So, all right, with that out of the way, let me get into this mindset issue. All right, so I want to I read you something that I saw the other day. Now, this is political related, but that's not why I'm reading it. I want, I want you to really think about the mindset that we're talking about as I read this. Long after this election is over, Trump and Hillary will still be rich. Half of us will be able to claim we won. The other half will have four years to say, that's why I didn't vote for X. Just remember, we live in a different America than they do. We have to live, work, and eat with each other in our America. We don't get to hop on a private jet and fly away from our community's problems. We are what makes this country what it is, not the president. He or she will not stop crime in our neighborhoods. He won't stop people from stealing your identity. And she will not stop anyone from shooting up our local nightclubs. Hillary will not come to teach your child right from wrong, but you can. Trump will not come teach your home, to your home and teach her math, but you can. We, as a united people, with sound morals, values, and ethics, can make this country whatever we, whatever we want. Vote for whomever you want. But remember... We are the ones that shape our communities, not them. Now, again, that's political oriented, but my point isn't to make some sort of political point. It's pointing to the mindset. And I see this, you probably see this as well. See this all over the place who people are so fixated on who the next president is going to be, whether you live in the United States or not, wherever you live, people are so fixated on who the next leader is going to be, always looking to some leader or someone else outside of themselves to fix all the problems that they have. Now, that's not to say that there's not issues with different political systems, that changing out leaders could have some effect on what's happening. But when you get so wrapped up in who the next leader, president, prime minister, whatever, is going to be, that you start to forget your role and how much control you have over your own life, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up. It, it, it kind of goes back to this waiting for Godot mindset that I had mentioned before. That you're waiting for something that's never going to come. You're not going to change out the president and suddenly your life is dramatically better. 
It could be marginally better or marginally worse. But that person isn't going to make you successful. They're not going to help you to earn the income you want or have the lifestyle you want or have it cure everything with your relationships and so forth. So, yes, I, I'm someone who's very much into politics and pay attention to it. So I'm not telling you not to pay attention to politics. What I am saying is that we shouldn't get so wrapped up in believing that these people or anything outside of ourselves has more control than we do on our own lives. Now, this reminds me of another story that I heard. I was listening to a show, a program called the Jason Jason Stapleton Show, which it's a libertarian prog- podcast. I think you guys probably know I'm a libertarian. Uh, you can take that for what it's worth. But I was listening to his show, and he he told this story, and this is really what brought it up for me. And he told the story of how he when he was so he was a former Marine. He had spent time in Iraq. And he was, I think, if I remember correctly from the story he was telling, he was working with some special forces over there. And so, anyway, they were in the chow hall eating and there was some stuff going up on the TV talking about different politicians and so forth. And him and his buddy had, buddies had got into a conversation and were kind of, you know, talking back and forth about what was going on and, you know, irritated this, that, the other. And this other guy who's the special forces, Green Beret, you know, this guy who who had like every patch that you could imagine had been just a, a really uh, gung-ho, involved, well-trained, had been through all this stuff. Uh, he was sitting over at a table by himself and he wasn't paying any attention. And uh, Jason Stapleton was saying now this guy was kind of new to their team or whatever. So they didn't know a ton about him or whatever. And they're trying to get to know him. And so they have this conversation and they asked him, "Hey man, what, you know, what do you th- what do you think about all this?" And he kind of looked up slowly from from his eating and looked at him and goes, "Do you really want to know?" And like, "Yeah, man. You know, we want to we want to know what you think." He's like, "No, you don't." And he went back to eating. And so they they kind of got irritated and so they kept they they asked him again like, "No, man, we we really want to know like what what do you what do you think about all this? Oh, this is important. And he looked, so he looked at Adam and goes, okay, I'll tell you what I think. And he went off on this like two, three minute rant where he told, said he didn't give a crap in choice words about anything that they said or any of that. He didn't care about the, the politics. He didn't care about who was elected politicians. He didn't care about any of it. And they were kind of getting irritated. He was like, you don't care about this? Stuff? I mean, this is, these are our politicians. These are the leaders of our country, et cetera, et cetera. Like, this is stuff you should care about. And he goes, you know why I don't care about it? I don't care about it because I'm a winner. And winners don't get caught up in that crap. I don't care what they do. I'm going to win regardless. Now, it's easy to just write that off as bluster, right? Like, oh, this guy, whatever. But this is a, a a guy who had basically been to hell and back, a guy who you know had had lived it and, and proven that 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 was the case that he was telling the truth, and 
and ultimately the story isn't about really this guy, but it's about the mentality. It's about this idea that you're going to win regardless. No matter what the situation is, people who succeed do so in any environment. No matter what the laws are, no matter who the politician happens to be, they still succeed. They don't make excuses. The odds may, in fact, actually be stacked against them, but they win anyway. And I'm telling you that taking on that mindset, whether you want to be all blustery and ranty about it, that's not what I'm saying. You can be humble, normal dude, normal gal, whatever. But taking on the mindset of no matter what happens, in the face of anything that may try to stop me, I'm going to win anyway. That mindset will get you much further than the mindset of, well, I'll wait for the right politician. I'll wait for the right time. I'll wait for this or that or the other. You'll be waiting your entire life. All right. Coming up next, I want to get into the power of story, and I want to get into talking about how to, really how to tell your story and do it in a way where you can be persuasive with other people and allow yourself, make it easier for yourself to be able to get hired, to get freelance clients, to sell your products and services, whatever you're going to do to ultimately make your living is going to require persuasion and storytelling is at the heart of this. So I'm going to get in how to do that. Got to take a break. We'll be back after this. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community, that there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn And that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients. Because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these foundational skills and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable, when you can complete a, a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you can start then building 
the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the f- in the first place instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich anyway you can learn these skills in my free course the beginner's guide to php which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com/learnphp and it's going to teach you these foundational skills So you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Right, so I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story. And this is a story of a of a little boy. And this little boy, he had a rough childhood. When he was just eight years old, his parents were murdered. And growing up an orphan always left him feeling a little isolated. And having been there and watched as his parents were murdered, he had a lot that he was dealing with, a lot of traumatic issues and so forth that came up with him. And so again, he always just felt like he was different and isolated from everybody else. And his the people who murdered his parents were weren't caught. And so in his isolation he became obsessed with his parents' murder, determined to find their killer. And his obsession affected every part of his life from re- relationships to his mental state, his sanity. He rarely slept or ate. The few hours of sleep that he did get were were haunted by not all kinds of nightmares related uh, to his parents' murders. And if you were to look at him and look at the situation on paper, you you would imagine that this kid probably should have amounted to nothing, maybe even went insane. However, from that childhood, from the ashes of what was a broken childhood would rise a hero. He grew up to become a billionaire and he not only became a billionaire, but someone who was known the world over and known for being a man of integrity, hard work and grit and a man who would give his life for those less fortunate than himself, who cared legitimately about those who out there who were suffering, who were, uh, facing hard times, and he would give his life for those people. And he wasn't insane, but focused and determined. And he was a child who, against all odds, would rise up to become. And now, if if you're paying attention, this is of course the story of Bruce Wayne or Batman, and. I tell that story because hopefully in listening to it, you can feel, you can start to feel the the emotional pings and pangs, and you can kind of start to feel yourself getting caught up in the, in the story a little bit. You can almost maybe start to feel yourself relate to it a, a, a little bit in, in different ways and feel the energy and the motivation. You can feel ju- yourself getting caught up into it a little bit. And that's the point of storytelling. 
even though this is a story, I mean, mind you, this is a story that you've probably heard before. You probably, I imagine, have seen the movies. If not, you probably still know the basic, uh, basic storyline. So this is a story you know, but telling it in a little bit different way, using different words than maybe has normally been used before, you can still cause people to get caught up in it a little bit, to connect with it emotionally. And that's that's the point that I want to try to convey to you. I, again, I was having this interview with Mike P uh, the other day, and that's one of the things that came out of it, is that this this idea, especially developers, because we're very, in our work, we're very logically oriented. And so we assume that persuasion is logical, but it's not. Persuasion is emotional. People buy on emotion. They make decisions based on emotion, and then they justify it with logic after the fact. That's an important insight for selling yourself in an interview, for selling yourself to a client, for selling an app or something you create. That people will make those decisions based off of emotion and then come back later and try to justify it with logic. So getting good at the art of storytelling can help you to become more persuasive because it can allow you to trigger those emotions in people. Now let me tell you another story. So this is about a different kind of little boy. He didn't come from a wealthy family. He came from originally what was a, a middle class family. But then one day, him, his father, and his little brother were in a car accident. And that car accident left his dad paraplegic. And so his dad went from owning a $3 million a year plumbing business and having a fairly successful life and making pretty good money doing that and providing for his family, his mom being a housewife, to now his dad can no longer do that kind of work. And his mom went from being a housewife to now having to be the main breadwinner and with with only a high school diploma and a few years of college, no no college degree and very little work experience because she'd spent a, a good chunk of the beginning of her life, about 10 years, being a housewife. Well, as you can imagine, things got very difficult. In fact, this this boy went from living in kind of a middle-class home and community to suddenly being thrust into living into a in in a trailer home and not not only not getting new clothes and all the new things as he grew up, but being lucky just to have anything. In fact, getting a lot of the stuff that he had being hand-me-downs from the the local churches and schools and so forth. And going two, three, four days at a time without eating. Not the, oh, I didn't get to eat what I wanted or I had this slop. Like having nothing because of the situation and the way times would get hard at certain points. Having literally nothing to eat for days at a time. 
having to walk several miles to school uh, over Christmas break to basketball practice just so he could stay on the team because his dad couldn't drive him and his his mom had to work and couldn't get off to come get him. So if he wanted to be there, he had to walk. And coming from that childhood, being someone who was very aware of how bad things could be and had a certain kind of determination that come hell or high water, his kids would never experience that. That he he really didn't care what happened to him because he'd been through it. And he knew he, he was a survivor and could survive. But his kids would never experience what he went through. And by his mid-30s, was now making a six-figure income, was working from home as a coder, doing what he loved, and turning around trying to help thousands, tens of thousands of other developers do the same. That is my story. And again, I don't tell that story to uh, to necessarily create any connection with you and I here. I want to use it as an example of the kind of storytelling that can have an impact. I want you to maybe look back and and pay attention to any point in which you felt some sort of emotion or connection. And I want you to recognize the power of that. That when you can do that, when you can tell a story in that kind of way, you can really have an impact with people and be very persuasive. Now, when we get into the art of storytelling, here's here's my biggest piece of advice when it comes to telling, telling stories. There's two things. One, people tend to overcomplicate it. They tend to go in and try and find all these seven-step stories and like when someone really buys into the idea of storytelling, they try to really manufacture the drama in a story. And it becomes too mechanical. The story may be true, but it doesn't it doesn't ring true with people. So the best thing you can do is just tell the story how you would tell it without really trying to learn how to storytell necessarily. That's the first thing. The second thing is the one maybe strategy to use that that works really well is really, really simple. And it's just a before after. It's a before and an after type storytelling. So what was the before? How were things before? And that's where I'm talking about my childhood and so forth. And then what's the after? What are things like now? And then the thing that you sell would be the thing in the middle that took the person, you, the other person, whoever, from the before to the after. It's the solution. Okay, so that's the best way, in my opinion, to be able to easily storytell in a very authentic way while at the same time positioning whatever you're selling, whether that's yourself, whether that's a product or service, whatever, your services, etc. Tell it in that before-after fashion. And the more you can really dig into the before and the pain and and how bad things were and really get that to that's how you relate to people. People relate through shared experiences and oftentimes shared struggles 
create a much deeper connection than shared successes. And so when you can really resonate with people on that before side and really get them to relate to you that way, that you know what it's like to be there. Then when you talk about the solution and they're like, gosh, this person, this guy, this gal was in an even worse position than me and and they made it. How'd they do that? This is how I did it. All right, so don't underestimate the power of storytelling. And every product or service that you sell, whether that's yourself, something you build, or it's just getting hired in an interview, integrate story as much as possible. It's it, Tell the story of you. There's one story that you should really nail down. It's yours of who you are and you're before, you're after, and and be able to relate that to people in a compelling way. You'll be able to create much deeper connection with them. All right, now I want to get into and continue with talking about this ACE, the interview. So this is a series I've been doing over on Patreon. As of this recording, Lesson 1 is up and available. That talks about all about the big secret that big companies don't want you to know about their hiring processes and the advantage that you have as the interviewee going into an interview, and how to leverage that advantage to really almost force them, to really put the pressure on them to make them feel like they have to hire you. And so that's all in that lesson one over an ACE the interview on Patreon, johnmorrisonline.com. Patreon, you can get access to it. Once you sign up over there, it should be right towards the top of your in your Patreon feed. Just maybe scroll down a little bit if not, but it should be right there towards the top. Now, I'm getting ready to release lesson two. And in lesson two, I'm going to be talking about the two different methods that you would use in, in an interview. And these methods are based on who the interviewer is. It's based on their, their sophistication as an interviewer. Because sometimes, most of the time, you're going to be an interview interviews with someone who's not really a great interviewer. This isn't something that they spend a lot of time thinking about. I mean, you think about like a local small business. The person who owns that small business, that they're not spending a lot of time usually learning how to give good interviews. Most of the time, they're only interviewing because they need, they've lost somebody or they need to up their staff. They're only doing it because they have to. And so they don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. So they're going to be not going to be a very sophisticated interviewer most of the time. They just have other things to worry about. Other times, however, you may be applying at a big company who has an HR department and they have what you might almost call hired assassins for their interviewers. And so these are people who spend a lot of time thinking about this, studying this, learning how to do it. And if you if you try to take the first method, which is the basic method, then they're going to eat you alive because um, they've they've seen it all, they've studied it, they know what to look for, right? So there's these two different methods, and a basic and an advanced, and it's all dependent on who the interviewer is. So with the basic method, really, what it breaks down to is you want to tell them what they want to hear in a convincing way. And the reason 
that you want to do that is because this is a, and generally again, an unsophisticated interviewer. This is someone who has probably lost, had somebody quit or leave or was fired, whatever. They have a position to fill and they are, they're not very good at this. They know they're not very good at this, but they know they need to get somebody hired and they need to get the right person. And so they're waiting for someone to come in who blows them away, who says all the right things, who makes it obvious that they're the right choice. And so the way to do that, in my experience, is again to tell them what they want to hear in a convincing way. And so the way that you do that is the first thing, when you apply for a job, and I talked about this in a, in a previous episode, one, you need to research the company. Right, So you need to know what they want to hear. That's the first part of it. You need to be able to, to identify for any question they might ask you what they would probably want to hear. What's the most ideal answer to this question? And so what I do is I try to anticipate questions and objections. So I look at who I am going to be interviewing with and I try to get a sense of what questions they might ask me. So if they're a company who on their website talks a lot about culture and so forth, I'm probably going to get culture questions. Probably going to get questions about what I value, what things are important to me and so forth. And so you want to look at that and anticipate some of those questions. Also, as you interview, this is one of the things I noticed as I was uh, doing a lot of interviews is they almost, uh, especially big companies, they become, it's almost incestual in a way. Like when a company identifies a set of questions that seems to work well for them, suddenly everybody starts asking those same questions. I noticed interview to interview to interview, 90% of the questions would be the same questions. So again, this is why it's important also to interview a lot. Right to do multiple interviews because you'll you'll start to see the same thing. I'm, I'm getting a lot of the same questions or same kind of questions, and so you'll be able to identify what those are going to be. For ninety percent of the questions that you're going to get, you'll probably know it's coming after you do a few interviews. You'll know what they're going to ask. So write down those questions, look at it, and say, "What's the most ideal way to answer this?" For example, one of the questions that I always got is, what's one of, they would ask, what's one of your strengths? And then they'd ask, what's one of your weaknesses? What do you think your biggest weakness is? Now, I've talked with people that have interviewed me afterwards and they have said and will tell you, and having done interviewing as a manager myself, I can tell you that there's people that when you ask them what their great biggest weakness is, bless their heart. They're honest, but <laughs> what their weakness is, is something they should never have said. I mean, I had someone who had said their biggest weakness is, is they're always late, as an example. Well, okay, but I appreciate your honesty, but I don't want someone who's always late. So that person immediately was removed from <laughs> from consideration because I don't want, uh, that's the last thing I want to deal with. So you 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 should in this basic method the idea is to really give them something that's actually a strength 
but position it as a weakness. So I learned this. I learned this actually when I was uh, between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. I was going to do an interview for a scholarship that a, at a college that I had applied to. So it was the college that I ended up going to that I pretty much knew I was going to go to. And I was being interviewed for one of their honors scholarships because of my ACT score and so forth. And I was also going to be playing football there. And so the coaches knew I was coming up for that interview for the, to, to see about getting the scholarship. And so they said, Hey, stop by before you go. So I stopped by and they said, Hey, look, you know, let me give you a few pointers on the interview. They're like, one of the questions they're going to ask you is what is, what do you think one of your biggest weaknesses is? And he said, no, what you do is you tell them something that's, and this is exactly where I learned this. He said, tell them something that's actually a strength, but it's a weakness. He goes, Here's here's the example. Tell them that you're a perfectionist, right? And say sometimes you get so obsessed in getting everything perfect that you kind of forget that there's a deadline and that there's, you know, I got to get this turned in and so forth. And and so it can it can hurt you in that sense. And he said that if that's your biggest weakness and and you're able to sell them that, you said you're gonna stand out way different from all these other people because that's actually a strength. They'll see that as, well, that's really a strength, but they may not immediately consciously catch that. And so that's what I did. I went in there, I did that, and I ended up getting the scholarship. <laughs> Job interviews since then, I've done that exact same thing. And you would it sounds so like, oh, people won't fall for that. I've done it time and time again. And people fall for it time and time again. Now you have to you have to be good at selling it. You have to be able to really make it sound like it's a weakness, but it's actually a strength. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a sophisticated interview interviewer will catch that. In fact, I've had somebody catch that and I got done and the guy said to me, "Well, now that's not really a weakness, is it?" So, that's a signal when you know that you're dealing with someone who's a more sophisticated uh, interviewer, but that's for another time, another video talking <laughs> about the advanced stuff. The point is, is you want to answer the question with the most ideal answer. Okay. So you just want to, you want to go through and figure out what exactly would they want to hear for each one of these questions and, and have an idea of what that answer would be. The second part of it is in a convincing way. So tell them what they want to hear in a convincing way. And the convincing way kind of goes back to what we talked to earlier in the episode, which is providing proof through examples from your life. And this is how you make it not just sound like your slick Rick sales guy telling them what they want to hear. You make it sound real. and You make them believe. The whole point of this is to make them believe and you do it through proof, which are examples from your life. So going back to the same question, what's your biggest weakness? And I would say, well, my biggest weakness is I'm a perfectionist. You know, I, I've done this with tech interviews. My biggest weakness is I'm a perfectionist and I really obsess over details 
and getting the product or, or, or application I'm building perfect and, and really wanting it to be right and be great for the end user. But I also recognize, you know, and sometimes forget that there's, there's a whole business around this. There's timelines and things that need to happen. And sometimes you have to ship before, before you want to. As a matter of fact, I remember the, the first tech job that I had, I'd been there about a week. And mind you, at this time, I was really kind of entry level. And so I wasn't necessarily, I could say I wasn't the, 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 the best coder on the planet at the time, but I, I knew how to, 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 to put things together. And so I was asked to build a website for a membership that this company was going to be launching. This was going to be one of their flagship kind of product lines. And I was asked to build the site for it. And so I knew it was important. I really wanted to get it right. And so I was really obsessing over the details. And, you know, they were kind of getting to the point where they were like, hey, we get, you know, we got to get this launched. We have our launch date on. There was a hard launch date. We told the customers and so forth. We got to get it launched on this Tuesday. You know, and, and come Monday afternoon, I was still trying to trying to get this thing perfect. And I remember my boss went through it and looked at everything and so forth. And there were there were little details that were bugging me and I wanted to to get fixed. And I remember my boss going through it, looking at everything and 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 drawing the line and telling me, look, it's good. It's good enough. I right, keep your list of your details. We're launching tomorrow. And then once we get through the launch, you can fix all the things that you want to fix. And it really taught me a lesson about the balance between perfectionism and shipping and, and having to, to meet deadlines and, and get things out there. All right. So now that's a story. That story happens to be true. And it's a story that gives credence to me being a perfectionist. So when you can do that, when you can tell them what they want to hear, right? I gave them this kind of lame answer that perfectionism is my biggest weakness. But I told a story and gave an example from my life that made it ring true, that made it sound authentic. And so that's, that is the method. What's the ideal answer to this question? What from my life can I use as an example of how I learned this and how I came to know this? The, the, the thing that happens when you do this is A, it, you sound credible, but B, you're telling something about your life and your experience, so you're connecting with them on a human level. You're not just some robot regurgitating exactly the answers that they want to hear. You're connecting with them. You're telling about them about you and your life experience, and so you you connect with them on a different level, and this all leads to what ultimately the point is that we talked about earlier is that people make decisions based off emotions. When someone interviews you, what they're after isn't a 10-point checklist that they're checking off boxes. They may have that, but that's not really what drives them. What drives them is they're trying to get a, you, you've probably heard this phrase, trying to get a feel for who you are, right? Well, that's an emotional thing. That's not 10 points on a, check, on a, on a checklist. That's an emotional thing. And when you can tell stories in your answers that provide 
proof for the things that you believe, then it just gives them a feel-good sense about you. They don't really understand it. They don't know why. You know it's because you're telling stories and connecting with them on a human level, but they don't really they don't really pick up on that. And they just feel good about you. So now when they go to check all those check boxes, you get the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't mean that you're going to get hired for every job you interview for. Right? Some jobs you interview for if I went to interview for the CEO of GE, I wouldn't get that job. Right? There's just there's there's too much. But if you're applying for jobs where you're close, right, where your skill set is close, then this can sway things in your favor that when they're looking at those check boxes, you get the benefit of the doubt and they're willing to take a risk on you. I've had people stop me in the middle of an interview and say, I'm not I'm not supposed to do this, but I we just I want to hire you now. Like I already know I want to hire you. I don't want to have you walk out the door. So give me a few minutes, I'll be back and we're going to make an offer. I've had that happen. I've had people who talk to me afterwards because a lot of times the the places you interview, you end up working for the people that interview you. So I've had people who've talked to me afterwards and it's like, you just blew the interview away. Like I didn't want to show that you blew it away, but I did. I One of the jobs I got hired for, this was the one that I'd walked out on on them six months before came back interviewed was getting interviewed for a, a manager position and it was in a one department so I was interviewing for one department so the way the company worked is when you were interviewing for XYZ department then ABC department would conduct the interview right because they wanted to they wanted to try to be objective they didn't want someone to you know the the people interviewing you to be the people you'll ultimately ended up working for, whatever reason. So I was interviewing with another department. Well, I found out later that the one of the people in that department was the plant manager. Uh, it, that was interviewing me. I didn't know it at the time, but he was he was the plant manager for this other department. And after the interview and so forth. He told them that he wanted them, he didn't want them, me to go to this other department. He wanted me to come work for him. And so he pulled strings and got it so that I ended up working in his department. That's how much he liked me in the interview. Now again, I'm not telling you all that to be, to brag. That's not the point here. The point is for you to understand how powerful this is. Because all I did was what I'm telling you here now. I just told them what they wanted to hear in a convincing way. I told them stories that were examples of the things that I believe and I thought and the answers to my questions. It's all you got to do. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get with it. Now, this is probably something that your first time you do this in an interview, it'll be feel weird. And it, won't, it probably won't go that well. You might still get the job, by the way. But... It might not go as well as you'd hoped, but the second time, the third time, the fourth time, especially once you start to get an idea of the questions that they're going to ask you and how you're going to answer them, then you'll become more confident. It'll come off smoother. And before you know it, you'll be doing the same thing. You'll be having people coming up to you going, oh my God, you aced that interview. 
or I want this guy or this girl for my for my section and hiring you for jobs that you shouldn't be getting hired for. So it's it's all about this process telling them what they want to hear in a convincing way and using storytelling to do that. All right, I'm going to leave it there for this episode. Hopefully you got a ton of value out of that, taking lots of notes, uh, and you'll be able to use that in your career, getting hired at jobs, selling your products or services, you know, uh, selling to freelance clients, and so forth. If you like this episode, if you do me a favor, be sure to like it so that I know that you like this and also helps me uh, gain exposure. If you'd share it with somebody who could use this information, I'd really, really appreciate that. I want to try and reach as many developers as possible to, to give them this information, hopefully help them over the hump uh, with their career. So if you wouldn't mind sharing this with the people you know, the developers you know, I'd really, really appreciate that. Also, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes. These episodes are only available here, not over on YouTube. So if you want to subscribe so it's automatically downloaded to your mobile device whenever there's a new episode out uh, and you can listen to it in your car, on the go, in your headphones while you're walking, etc. JohnMorrisOnline.com slash iTunes for your Apple device. JohnMorrisOnline.com slash Android for your Android device. That'll take you through to Google Play Music where you can subscribe. And also johnmorrisonline.com slash soundcloud, which is, of course, device agnostic. So you can do that on any device, on the desktop, etc. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.